Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, for He is worthy and worthy to be praised. Do you believe it? Few people believe it. Yeah, so some are even excited about the idea of that, right? So here we are in the house of the Lord, and here we are with a conclusion of Song of Solomon series that we've done. Love, marriage, and sex, God's way. The idea of a biblical marriage, the way that God's Word teaches it and proclaims it. And we as a chapel team thought that it was essential to preach through this, especially on an idea where our yearly theme for this year is a year of connection. So we talked about connecting with our spouses through Song of Solomon. The next series with Chaplain Runnels, Chaplain Ellison, Chaplain Thompson, I believe, are the three that are leading the next series. We're going to talk about connecting with our Savior using the I Am statements. This, the great I Am still is, right? But we wanted to start off with the idea of connecting with our spouses Because the world today has a completely different teaching of what marriage, God's way is. The society that we live in has, well, they've greatly distorted what love is. The society we live in has greatly distorted what a man's standard of beauty should be. And his standard of beauty should be his wife, not some airbrushed model on a billboard. And ladies, you should never have to compare yourself with that. Because there can never be a more beautiful you. Because you were designed and created by the Savior and the Creator of the universe. The same God that spoke the world into existence molded you and breathed in you the breath of life. And He created you beautiful the way you are to complement us men who usually aren't as beautiful. Usually. Kidding. We talked about guarding your marriage against the foxes because there are plenty of foxes out there that will pick the fruits out of your garden and run it dry and then you wonder why your marriage is starving. We talked about intimacy and the way the world has distorted it. Particularly, I used an illustration of Hugh Hefner taking the beauty of a woman, the beauty of a lady, and completely taking away the emotional connection from a physical attraction. And Song of Solomon made it abundantly clear if we read it and we understand the idioms that that should never be so. There should be plenty of physical intimacy as Dan started off the series, if you know what I mean. But physical intimacy without emotional connection is what the world teaches. God's Word teaches something completely different. The two are one. They should be one. Disconnecting the physical connection from the emotional connection leads to the world's mentality of, quote, it's just sex. And nothing could be farther from the truth to teach our children. I heard a story a while ago. As as I think today, I want to close it up with the idea of being fiercely faithful. When Sonny and I do Strong Bonds events and we talk about we've been married for 18 years, one of the most common questions that we get is how do you do that? Some of you in the congregation may have been married a little longer. I know the Bryants have, which comes when you're older, right? Just saying. So 18 years or 20 years or like my parents, I, I'm, 
uh, well, I'm 40, my brother's 50, so they're like at 55-ish years of marriage. How do you do that? And the answer is some of the things that we're going to look at today. I want to talk about being fiercely faithful. Fiercely is the word I want to use. Because faithful at all costs. Fierceful. When I think of fierceful, I think of the warriors that I serve with. That your husbands and spouses serve with. I think of the, the warriors in particular in my brigade. The warrior brigade. We yell it out, warriors! Usually at the end of the PT session when we feel nothing like warriors. I, false motivation, I guess. I don't know. We did the top of Cocoa Head Trail the other day with the, uh, with the division chaplains. And by the time I got to the top, they were like, yeah, Chaplain Hanson. Warriors. I'm, I'm the best. All the while, and I kid you not, a 70-year-old plus Marine Corps veteran was on his second trip up. And we're all chaplains about to die looking at him like, I'll go to war with that guy. Yeah, I kid you not. With his little trekking poles just one at a time. I was like, wow. We passed him on the way down. He was on the way down as we were going up. And we were like, bless his heart. As we were on the way down and he was coming back up, we were like, bless our hearts. That's embarrassing. It's easy to be embarrassed when you compare yourself to others, isn't it? Nobody puts on Facebook or social media or TikTok their challenges. That's why everybody else's marriage looks so good. Their marriage has challenges too. Maybe their marriage is a little bit out of breath too, but nobody puts that video on the top. You know what pictures we posted on Facebook for the Division UMT and the Brigade UMTs? And hey, we posted the victorious pose at the top. Sucking in the guts, poking out the chest, showing the muscles we wish we had. That's the picture you show. You don't show the one... <laughs> of a guy struggling for air. People do the same thing with their marriage. Nobody sets up a video and says, put this on Facebook Live. We're about to have a knockdown drag out. Watch this! No. They have the knockdown drag out and then they go to the beach and says, take the picture! We're so in love. Marriage is challenging. How do you make it to 18 years of marriage? How do you be fiercely faithful? I heard a story a while ago where a young girl, give or take around the age of 10, she used to hate it when she saw her dad goose her mother. You know what I'm talking about, goosing? Like, they'd be washing dishes at the sink and he'd reach over and just pinch her hip or pinch her bottom. And, oh, gross. Get a room. Ever heard that from your kids? Good. I've got one. We'll hit that later. Right? The room. Totally un- that was a totally unintended, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Meaning, unexpectedly pinch her, or just kind of goose her, or poke her, tickle her, to which she would respond occasionally. They would try to surprise each other around the corner. Oh, gross, get a room, pop around, and put his arms around her waist. Kids are like, oh, gosh, wow. And he would, she would always say gross, and little Susie would scream out, oh. As years went by, little Susie was married with her own children. And wouldn't you know it, as they were cleaning up from Thanksgiving dinner, there's her mom and dad in the presence of grandchildren now nonetheless, Goose and his wife. (laughs) Oh, mom, there's children present. I know, in your mind, hush. 
Little Susie got all the more aggravated, like, oh man. Still more years passed by and this time and family get together and that frisky couple was still there. And now that frisky couple is in their 80s and you guessed it, great-grandchildren watching great-grandpa <laughs> goose in his love. But this time, Mama Susie noticed that the PDA was a sign of an eternal flame. As she somberly with emotions, turns over, looks over, or turns over to her husband standing beside her and says, I hope when we're 80, we're still so much in love that you'll goose me as we're watching dishes, that the flame is still there, that the appropriate PDA and the passion hasn't disappeared. You see, all along the way, little Susie was learning a little bit about what marriage should be. Small lessons. I'm sure Susie saw Grandma and Grandpa fight, Mom and Dad fight. If she didn't, then Mom and Dad hit it better than I do. Probably better than you do. How do we cultivate such a love like that? That lasts, like my parents, 55-ish years or 80 years of love. I need you to know there's a major difference between love and infatuation. And the world we live in teaches infatuation as opposed to love. And they call it love, but it's really not. The difference is this. Infatuation leaps into bloom only to die in a short time. Almost like azaleas. If you're from the South, I, my, we used to have some beautiful azalea bushes in front of our house. And they were gorgeous when they were in bloom. Now, sinuses didn't always like them, but the flowers themselves were exceedingly gorgeous. I mean, the bushes were mature and well-rooted, so when they were in bloom... They were this gorgeous rose or pinkish color. The whole row of azaleas. But man, they only bloomed, it seemed like, for two weeks a year. And the rest of it, it was just a drab green bush that was a pain in the rear end to trim. But yet, mama's ha mom had us out there trimming, or mom would be trimming herself and attending to the azalea bushes. Because for two weeks a year, they were gorgeous. You see, that's infatuation. It just blooms for a short time. You can enjoy it. It's beautiful. Oh, look at those as you sip your morning coffee. And then two weeks later, it's gone, so you forget about it. And it's back to everyday life. Love, however, is something a little more deeply rooted. And it takes time to grow before it produces all of its fruit. And once it's rooted and it produces fruit this year, you know what? it will produce fruit that will sustain you for a lot longer. In order for that kind of love to happen, in order for an eternal love that is fiercely faithful, there's some things that we have to do. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look about teaching it, protecting it, and nurturing it. Bottom line up front, that's what we do to make a marriage last. That's what Fiercely Faithful looked at. Some of this is going to be a rehab of the things that we've talked to, which a good concluding sermon will. But I want to look at teaching it first. Guys, I'm going to shoot straight. One of the things we probably, hindsight 2020 in this series, that I think, uh, I hope that you've enjoyed. I, I hope that it's challenged your marriage in some ways. Good, bad, ugly, and different. If it's challenged, it's a good thing. But one of the things we may have could have done a little better, right? When there's always things you can do better, is address specifically the unmarried, so like our young adults and even our children down to the age of my children. 
We haven't addressed them specifically. And I know our younger children are in there, but there are plenty in the congregation who are yet to be married and in that relationship. And guys, if we want to be fiercely faithful, it is important that little Susie learns that message at 10 years old. You know what I'm saying? That she learns what love and affection is. That not only does she see the arguments with mom and dad, but they see us work them out. Not only do they see the disagreements, but they're respectful disagreements. And we work them out. Not only do they see the challenges, but they see us overcoming those challenges together. And they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that mommy and daddy are not perfect. As Chaplain Bryant hit on, I believe it was last week, when he talked about he had messed up and he was broken. And Angela said, this is not a mistake-free marriage. We're allowed to make mistakes as long as we work through them. It's important that children learn that. We need to teach them. We need to teach them God's design of marriage. That God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And I know that that's not always agreed upon in the world around us. I don't know your theology. You might not agree with that, and that's okay too. But I think God's Word makes it clear that it is designed for one man, one woman for one lifetime. And you may be in a situation, I don't know what your background story is. There may be that nasty D word in your life in your past. And if you are divorced or and have a relationship that was broken, I think that we can honestly agree from your personal experiences that that wasn't God's design. Because that was a hard time in your life. That was a challenging time. And that overcomplicated some things. If we have that willow tree family, it doesn't mean that my Sonny and Ma's relationship of 18 years and never having divorce is better than yours. I understand that it's different, but you'll admit that willow tree families are more difficult than it's not God's design for the stepmom or the stepdad to have to step in. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying that that, you, that God loves you any less or the marriage that you're in now is any less important. But I am saying that if we're honest with ourselves, we need to teach our children that when we say before, uh, when, a, when a minister leads us in our vows, and that's all he's doing is leading you in your vows, in the presence of witnesses before an Almighty God, when we say till death do us part, it means till death do us part. Not only is marriage and woman between one man and one woman, it is definitely a lifelong commitment. When you promise for better or worse, it is a solemn vow and a covenant before an Almighty God. The fact that your ring that you wear on your finger that admittedly I'm not so good about as I stand here without my wedding band on and it drives Sonny crazy. But as, if you put the ring on your finger, it is circular for a reason. The idea of it being round, at least in our culture, is the idea that there is no beginning, there is no end. God designed you for me before we were born and we will be together until this life ends. you understand me? I used the joke about Billy Graham's wife when she was asked one time through the challenges of ministry, had she ever thought about divorce? And she says, I would never do divorce. Divorce is a sin, honey. Like, we will not be divorced. Murder, I've thought about plenty of times, but divorce is not an option. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. The D word is not allowed in our house. Divorce is not a joke. I want my kids to know that no matter when, no matter how often they see mommy and dad disagree, that we are not divorced. That is a that is a stressor on a child that should never have to be there. Maybe you were a child that grew up in that situation, and you know what stress it put on your life. Look, different experiences and different lives, 
And I understand the variety of our culture, and that's what makes us so beautiful. But we must admit what God's design is for marriage. And if you, were, if you saw that divorce, if you were a child through, that broke, uh, through a broken family, then that's part of your story. And I would encourage you to use that as part of your story, as the importance of commitment, as you saw as a child, as maybe a a 10-year-old little boy or girl that saw their parents going through that divorce and you were caught in the middle, and you saw how much it broke mom and how much it broke dad and the challenges of being back and forth, and then people making the jokes of, oh, that must be awesome, you get two Christmases. And you're sitting there thinking, "Mm, I think you misconstrue what it is. That's okay. Marriage is also worth waiting for. We need to teach our kids that. The, the looks that Sonny and I get when we go to Strong Bonds and we talk about that we waited till marriage, like I have nothing physically to compare Sonny with anybody else. That doesn't mean that I didn't push the boundary a few times. I was a teenage boy. It doesn't mean that we didn't struggle with those challenges growing up, right? It doesn't, when we talk about, when we talk about relationships and Jesus being human, I'm sure Jesus had temptations, but it's how we handle those temptations that make us righteous and set apart. But when we mention the fact that, look, not only have not only were we the only person that's ever been together, people are like, oh, that's beautiful. Y'all must have been sweethearts since 13 or 14 or 16. No, we didn't know each other till I was in college. You've never been with anybody else? No. And I'm talking about like the looks that we get like you're crazy. Like, how did you know? What, based on the physical? Like, I thought love was a little bit more than the physical. I knew well before the physical ever entered. That was just a result of. This is not a used car situation. Well, it's not like you try it before you buy it, guys. Ladies, you are not a used car. Don't treat yourselves like one. Guys, you're not buying a used car. Don't treat her like one. Treat her like the jewel she is. Ladies, treat yourself like the jewel you are. Have standards like the jewel you are. Protect those standards like the jewel you are. See yourself the way your Savior does, not the way the world says you should. She says in Song of Solomon chapter 8, we see in Song of Solomon, see, I know that this is a little more topical than exegetical from break and burst down, which we've done through Song of Solomon. But the Shulamite woman reminds her, the young woman says, look, do not awaken love until you are ready. Divorce rates are significantly lower. Is an interesting article that, article that Dan sent out to us uh, recently. They talked about the divorce rates among children or young people that marry too young, 18 to like 25, I think was the age group. They, they said divorce rates were significantly higher, but there was one distinguishing factor that significantly lowered the divorce rates of young people. And one of the key distinguishing factors were those people that said marriage was worth waiting for. In other words, they did not cohabitate until they said, I do. Because one of the things about it is like if we were marrying together or living together and then we got married, it kind of takes the climactic, it's a little anticlimactic from a marriage standpoint. We've been living together anyway. Now it's just a legal document. And marriage is so much more than just the legality. It must be. Marriage is not about being compatible. We need to teach our children that. When we teach marriage, we need to understand that marriage is not just about being compatible. Much of the focus of this world around us is saying, look, you've got to be compatible. But the truth is that no two people are 100% compatible. Sorry. You did not meet your soulmate because you were not created for your mate's glory. You were created for God's glory. 
Sonny's not perfect. She's the incompatible side, not me. So we don't fit together. Just kidding. She knows that I'm not perfect. She can tell you all my imperfections, right? You get her going enough, she'll tell you all of them. I'm quite sure. Just buy her a cup of Starbucks and sit down. She'll tell you about the flaws in her husband. You're going to be there a while. You better get to the grande. Just saying. It's not about being compatible. Marriage, while incredible, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of sacrifice and it's adjustment. And I think a lot of marriages break up because no one's teaching our young people, my children, my youth, my 12-year-old, my 10-year-old, your daughter, my sons, that the fact that you're not always going to be compatible. But if you're committed, you can make it work. So they, these younger generations, a lot of times we expect that everything's going to be wonderful and blissful and that the sign of trouble, first trouble, assume that they married the wrong person. One of the first things I ask in premarital counseling is what if it doesn't work out? What if, what if you look at each other and like in 3, 5, 10, 20 years from now, you say, you know what? And usually it's a lot sooner than that. Usually let's just say 3, 5 years or the quote-unquote 7-year itch, whatever that is, I don't even know. But like you look and says, look, we, this isn't working out. we got to go. What, what do you do? And a lot of times, sadly, I'll get the answer of, well, I guess, you know, we'll teach respectful. I'll never talk bad about the kid's mother. I'll never do this. I'll always, you know, it's, she'll always be the mom or he'll always be the dad kind of mentality. I, I guess, you know, we would just be do the right thing. And I'll never forget I asked that uh, question to a young couple, uh, Matt and uh, Sherry. Um, I'm saying her name wrong, but anyways. When I asked her that couple, I'll never forget her response, she looked at me like I had lost my ever-loving mind. What do you mean if it doesn't work out? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This is till we die, Brother Kenneth. Yes, ma'am. By the way, right answer. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, she was adamant about, like, that's not even a choice. Divorce is not an option. It is till death do us part. It doesn't matter if we're compatible or not. Chaplain Bryant mentioned his mistake and Angela's response of, it's not a mistake-free marriage. Marriage is not about being compatible. It's about working through the challenges together with God the Father in the middle holding you together. Picture this in your mind. If a marriage is only two, a husband and a wife, and we start fighting, we do this. But you ever had two kids and they're fighting with each other and you have to grab one by the arm and you have to grab the really stubborn one, Luke, by the neck? <laughs> Sorry, the, the really stubborn one by the neck. And you're the parent and you're making them hold together and love together. Because you're the mom and dad and you know their love for each other. You know that they're brothers or si brothers and sisters. You know that they're siblings. They're just fighting they're just having a rough patch. You need to hold them together even though they don't see it. And eventually, they hug it out. They bro it out. They bro the sister it out, whatever. Because they're siblings. That's what God the Father does for your marriage. And if He's not there holding you and holding her, you're going to have a lot more challenges because there's nobody holding you together when you clash. Marriage is not also about giving and receiving. We need to teach our kids this. Marriage is not about what your spouse does for us. It's not about Sonny preparing a nice meal, although she does quite often. It's not about her running our household while I'm gone, although she's done it several times when I was in Iraq, Afghanistan, UAE, Jordan, pick a place. It's been 20 years of rough deployments for a lot of us. And Sonny's run the household through all of them, but it's not about what she's done. It's not about feeling loved. 
And it's not about feeling appreciated that she tells me. She does let me know I'm loved. She does appreciate me and she tells me quite often. It's about making someone else feel loved. It's about someone making her feel appreciated. The next generation needs to step into marriage ready to give rather than what we receive. Ready to give to my spouse. But the truth is, I'm afraid, only means so much when we talk about it. The fear that I'm talking about, the respect that I'm talking about, the one fear that I have is that they don't see us giving to our spouses enough. Let me add one more. Teach your children by praying for their future spouses now and today before you even know the name of their spouse. I pray for the young lady that marries Micah and Luke. God help her. Bless her heart in a southern way. I say that jokingly, but in reality, I'm not kidding at all. I do pray for their spouse. I pray that God is molding her to support him and love him. I pray that God is molding him to love her and cherish her. I pray that God is molding both of them. And I pray for her parents that I don't know who their names are that they are raising their little girl in righteousness. Because one day, that little girl is going to take my son's name and she's going to become a Harrison. And she dang sure better be worthy of it. She better be a Harrison mom like my mom is. You see, she's going to leave her family and cleave to my sons. And I better be ready to accept her as well. My sons better prepare themselves to be prepared to take the Harrison name. And to be a Harrison man, one full of anger, I mean, uh, passion. Um, I said we're not perfect, Dad Gummit. Don't expect me to be perfect. I'm preaching to myself, too. But he better be worthy of the Harrison name. He better love his wife fiercely, like I saw my dad do for over 55 years now. He better support her, love her, honor her, and cherish her, and allow mistakes. Not only do we need to teach it, we need to protect it. Ani Lododi Lododi Lee. Hebrew for I am unto my beloved and what we've seen throughout the Song of Solomon. I am unto my beloved and my beloved is unto me. We belong to each other. It is exclusive. Sex is for marriage and marriage alone. We belong to each other. I don't belong to the army. I don't belong to my commander. I belong to my wife. And she belongs to me. We are welded together to where you don't know where one ends and the other begins. And it's important that our children see that too. You want to make your marriage last? Be that committed. Divorce is not an option. Jesus said should, 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 you should not divorce your wife. And He gave one exclusion clause except for the cause of fornication, i.e. adultery. And even Jesus pointed that out. But even then, He didn't mandate it. He didn't even encourage it. He says, I understand it. Because the church has done that. Israel had done that for him for out years. If we compare marriage to being commitment and the marriage is, and the head of the house is, is the Savior and the church is the bridegroom, then the church has done a pretty crummy job of being dedicated to Jesus throughout the years. Have we not? But Jesus still loves us no matter what. He's never divorced us. But He did say that He understands it because He points out the exclusivity of marriage. Protect it. 
She says in Song of Solomon chapter 8, set as a seal upon the heart. I think it's verse 6. Set yourselves as a seal upon the heart. You know the Old Testament or older mentality of the wax seals that you make an envelope. Some people do it nowadays just to be nostalgic. But back then it was a big deal. You delivered a letter, you put the wax over the seal, you had a ring, and somebody could see two things. One, that the seal was unbroken, so the letter was untampered with. And two, I know for a fact that this is from this official. And what they're saying is, is set myself as a seal upon your heart. I will protect you. I will verify that nobody's been in that garden, if you know what I mean. I will verify the exclusivity of this relationship. I will protect you. And I will guard against the foxes. The seal upon the heart. It proves the letter is untainted and, un, and, untainted and authentic. Our marriages must be untainted and authentic. She says again, or they say again in Song of Solomon chapter 8, that love is as strong as death. It is eternal. It is lasting. No turning back. No turning back. Like your salvation with Jesus. No turning back. Only forward. I may stumble. I may fall. I may get caught in a gulch if I'm doing East Range land navigation. But there's no turning back when you're in the bottom of that gulch. Because I might as well climb out of it now. I'm in the middle of it. Right? No turning back. Protect it. says, my very own vineyard. Mine. She says in Song of Solomon 8. He says, my vineyard, my very own is the term that's used. You know who's responsible for the garden? A gardener. Right? You know who yields the fruit of the garden? The gardener. If he doesn't tend the garden, guess what? He doesn't yield as much fruit. If he doesn't pull the weed and guard against the foxes, if he doesn't protect it and nurture it, which is the next point, then we've got issues and it's his own darn fault. We must protect it. Speaking specifically about pornography, I had a group, uh, a wife tell us, I shouldn't have to treat my husband like a child with screen guards on his phone and things like that. You're not treating him like a child. You're protecting him against the world that's after him. Because it was a challenge in their marriage with pornography specifically. And I, I've actually, I say there, I'm currently counseling a few people with those issues. Pornography is a growing issue in our society because it's too easy. It used to be an easy closet scene. You had to go to a specific place to get a specific thing. And now it's like, <laughs> Dad, can I have a phone? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We got any more dumb phones? No, they don't even make those anymore. Uh-uh. Stay dumb. You don't need it. I know there's coming a time, but it's still my job to protect them. And we'll have to figure that road when we get there. Nurture it. Not only teach it, not only protect it, but nurture it. Jealousy. Love is jealous. God is a jealous God, is He not? Jealousy, I'm not talking about jealousy as in distrust. As in every time He goes to work and there happens to be a female at work that you don't trust Him. Because you have other past issues. Or I'm not talking about every time she goes to work in a man's world, right? And she's the one girl there and everybody's eyeballing your, what you see as your standard of beautiful wife, right? That you oh, she must be flirting all the time. I'm not talking, and you have no reason to believe that other than the people around her. Or him. I'm not talking about that kind of distrust. I'm talking about Sonny will mention all the time that she's jealous of the army. Wish I was in the army. You spend more time with the army, 
than you do with me. But she understands it. She gets it. I wish I was your commander. Uh, kind of, you kind of are household six, but okay. Well, I wish you spend as much time in a in a sync meeting with household six as you do rattlesnake six. Yes, ma'am. Right? She's jealous. And it's not that she doesn't trust me while I'm doing army things. It's that she longs for me. That she can't wait for me to get home. That she's skipping down the driveway ready to catch me and embrace me with love. Because she wanted me there. And vice versa too, by the way. Let her know that she is loved. Jealousy's not distrust. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Uh, work. Every day of my life. You'd be surprised at the number of calls that I've received as a chaplain. Chaplain, my husband told me that he was in the field for two weeks with no phone. He's at jungle school. He wasn't lying. Well, I think you're just covering for him. I think you need counseling. Go see another chaplain. I'm done. I mean, like seriously, not go see another chaplain. Come see me. We'll talk through. I can verify he is where he says he's at. How do I know you're just not covering for him? I don't know, lady. And I'm serious. And I get those phone calls all the time. Or I get the guys that come in my office. I don't trust her. Do you, do you know where she's at right now? Not my wife. No. She is out with so-and-so. Okay, who is so-and-so? The guys that she works with. Oh, she's at work. Do you have a reason to distrust her? No, I just don't like it. Okay, we're crossing that line between jealousy and distrust. You see what I'm saying? Jealous God. Nurture it. It's constantly longing for one another. Verse 10, I love it in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 10. You need to look at that. It says, find peace in her eyes. Guys, you need to be able to find peace in your love. Of all the craziness that this army brings me, of all the craziness that this army brings, when I come home and I look in those baby blues, not yours, Cheryl, the one behind you. When I look at Sonny's baby blues, clarify, exclusivity, right? When I look at Sonny's baby blues, there is peace. Ladies, be peaceful when he comes home to see you. Because he's thought about you. He's longed for you. He wants you. And sometimes it's a challenge when we come on. Hey baby, the dishes, washers broke. I just wanted a hug, man. I just wanted... Oh, awesome. I'll fix it. Let him find peace in your home before we bring the challenges. There are challenges there. And I'm not saying don't bring the broken dishwasher. I'm saying make sure that we bring them peace more than we bring challenges. Guys, you need to do the same thing. You need to find, she needs to find peace in your eyes. I was pretty bad about it coming home and complaining about some of my challenges. And I brought all of my issues home to where my children thought I hated my job, which is not the case at all. I love my job and I love being a chaplain. My bride thought that I was stressed out beyond degree. Stressed out, maybe just not beyond degree. And she thought that I had no peace in my life because I brought everything home. She looked at me and she saw turmoil and distress. If there's peace, she needs to find peace and strength in me when she looks at me. Hope, somebody that's committed, somebody that will nurture the garden, pull the weeds, tend the foxes, long for her, guys. Cherish her, protect her, goose her, if you would, till you're 80 years old.
And every now and then, do the dishes. Prepare a meal. Help her out. Love grows best in little houses, right? Ladies, be the person that he longs to find peace. Not the nagging spouse that we make such a stereotypical part of. This isn't lacking encouragement and pushing him to be better, but bringing peace, not problems, the moment he walks in the door. It says in Song of Solomon 8, flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. I could go on this one all day. It's talking about that physical relationship and how God delights in it. If you know what I mean. The very flame, the very passion, the goose that starts in the kitchen, the, the, the arms around somebody, the, the reaching over. I know we're tired at the end of the night, but we can reach over and snuggle and hold hands. The nurturing it. The nurturing the fire. The date nights. The opportunity to get out, which is really, really hard to do when you have little ones. Can I get an amen? Like, who's going to keep the little monkey? I'll just leave it here with the sun. It'll be alright. Be back in two hours. Please feed. You know? It's hard. I encourage you to try to find somebody else with similar age children that says, look, I'll make a deal with you. I'll keep your little monkeys. You keep my little monkeys. Turn our house into a zoo one Friday a month. Why? So you and your spouse can have that time together. If you can't do that, find mini dates. Once you put the kids together, light a candle, go out on the porch, get up an hour early so you can drink coffee together and wake up together. It's worth it. Some of you are like, no, it's not. Not an hour early. It's not. 5.30 is early enough, slick. Whatever. Find a time. Find a time to nurture it. To let it grow. Nurture it physically. Nurture it spiritually. Some of you may be at a crossroads. Let me clean, close with this idea. Marriage God's way. Some of you are at a crossway because you're both Christians, but maybe we haven't been doing marriage God's way and you've been challenged throughout this series. Here's an opportunity to fix it. To get on the right path. If you need help, see one of us chaplains. We'd be love to help you. I love you. Glenn loves you. Dan loves you. Chaplain Brian loves you. None of us care about rank or position. We just care about your marriage. Come see us. We'll help you get on the right path. Maybe some of you looked and maybe there's a little more improvement. You're on the right path, but you're in neutral. You're out of gas. You're not going anywhere. You need a little flame and a fire. Examine some ways that we can do that. Perhaps some of you realize that you don't have a godly marriage at all. And it's really hard to have a godly marriage if you ain't got a godly person in it. It's hard to have a godly marriage and a righteous marriage if I'm not a Christian, if she's not a Christian. And if that's you, I can help you fix that too. Come see me right now today. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and thou shalt be saved. And we can start this marriage off. We can renew this marriage. We can refresh this marriage. Today can be that day. Story time. You ready? Short story. If Christ isn't in your marriage, it might be because Christ isn't in you. If that's your story, let's, let's get off that road. Let's do a little bit of a back azimuth, get back to that turning point, and start back to where we need to go. Remember the first miracle of Jesus. It was a wedding, right? Your marriage matters to the Savior of the world. still does. It, married, it mattered at the marriage in Cana when Jesus blessed it to save the couple from some embarrassment. And it matters to Him today. Keep working on it.
marriage, love, and sex God's way. Teach it, protect it, and nurture it. Holy God, my Father, I thank you for who you are. May everything that we do bring honor and glory to you. Father, I know I've extended my time, but Father, marriage is... When divorce rates in the church are no different than the divorce rates in the society, we're doing something wrong. Father, when, when, we, when we as Christians are treating sex like it's quote-unquote just sex and it doesn't matter and we put our children on birth control saying, oh, just let them explore. Those are emotions that they're not ready to explore without commitment. You want to mess with my son? You want to mess with, well, I don't have daughters, but you want to mess with my daughter? I better have some commitment first. Father, let us teach it to ourselves, to our children, in God's Word, daily devotions together. Let us protect it, for the world tells women they're not beautiful. And the, guy, and the world tells the guys that your wife's not beautiful enough. <laughs> Father, let us nurture it. Continue to date each other. Continue to love each other. Continue to respect each other. Let us weed the garden and prepare it for seasons to come. Father, may the words that are proclaimed here impact every aspect of marriage. I ask these things in the name of the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ.